we're in a series, Faith Works, and what a powerful series. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the book of James, but uh, James, uh, half-brother of Jesus, Jesus' little bro, really is bringing together uh, Jesus' teaching of Sermon on the Mount and uh, combining it with kind of an approach of Proverbs of bringing wisdom into our everyday life. And so our faith is to be alive. Our faith is to work itself out. And so if you don't have an outline, would you shoot your hand up? We will get one to you because we want to be taking notes this morning. There's a lot to cover in just two verses. We're just looking at the last two verses, and there's so much for us to draw out this morning. And here's, we got got some good news and bad news, okay? This might be one of the most uh, convicting sections of scripture. We got a lot of bad news because we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and we have to be honest. Well, James is going to approach us today with a topic that that maybe we don't even see as a problem in ourselves. He says that there is a there's a form of spirituality, there's a form of religion and it looks good on the outside, but it's a counterfeit. It's it's fake. It's an imitation. And many of us, many of us think that if, if anybody has any spirituality at all, if they're trying to follow God in any way, like that's a good thing, right? Well, James says if you don't have the real thing, then it's a problem that we have to be honest about. And and guess who's more vulnerable to finding themselves in a counterfeit religion, a counterfeit spirituality, it's actually those of us who know the Bible pretty well. So I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if if you grew up kind of knowing verses or uh, being in maybe a Sunday school or doing Bible studies, but did you know that the, the more that you learn, the more that you know this book, the more prone that you are to actually not go deeper with God, but to go deeper into religion, dead religion, false religion, because we make it about what we do and how we conform and a list of rules, and we actually leave our first love. We depart from relationship with Jesus, and we succumb to a conformity to an image of religion. And it's so dangerous, so dangerous that that James today wants to speak right into our situation right into our lives and help us ask some questions maybe that we wouldn't normally ask. So last week, and then going into this week, we could say this whole section here, if you have your outline, you want to just jot down some notes, we could say this whole section is, is James really talking to us about how false religion, how imitation religion shows up in our life. And here's where we've been. We looked at verses 22 through 25 last week, and he addressed this topic. He said uh, that many are, are are walking down the path of self-deception, self-deception. Self-deception is where, because you think you know some Bible and that you've done some church, that you're good. Self-deception is marked by comparison. I'm doing a little bit better than the other person. For some of us, we even, like, walk into church week after week and kind of compare how we're doing with others. Like, well, I'm here, and, and where, where are they at? At least I'm, I show up. Like, I get a star in my chart, right? Like, I get points, right, by, by by just showing up and being present. Where are they? And I'm I'm faithful, and they're not. And 
look at what they're wearing and look at how they're acting and, and and look at how they're raising their kids and like we have a tendency even within the church just how am I doing compared to other people and as long as I got I got a group of people I can look down upon then I feel feel better about my myself and what does James call that you're deceived you're deceived into thinking that you're good because they're not and that's not where we go it's not where we go right or he also says this forgetfulness. Number two, uh, just in way of review from last week, uh, I look a little, I think a little, I glance a little bit at at the book, I show up to a, a study or two, and I forget it all as I walk away. It doesn't get applied. It doesn't get executed. I'll just figure it out as I go. Excuse making, justifying, minimizing, forgetful, forgetful. Everybody lift up your voice and say forgetful. It's where we go, right? There's a little bit of intake, not a lot of processing and living. And today, James is going to take us down a path that a little hard-hitting. He's, he's going to dive right into this, pride. Pride. And specifically, pride with our, our mouths, with our words. He says, man, self-deception, forgetfulness, and, and it leads to this religious arrogance. Quick to identify worldly sins that are obvious to all but really tend to overlook religious pride in our in ourselves could could we just say this as a side note who was jesus the most aggressive the most direct the most confrontational with was he going after those that were living in obvious wicked sin that everybody knew about he went after those that knew better and lived little those that knew the word but didn't know the God of the word. Those that were committed on the outside but their hearts were far from him. He had the harshest, most direct words for those that had religious pride. Do we, do we think about that? We highlight areas that we're doing really well. We focus on areas where others are not doing or what they're doing, the things that we don't struggle with, comparing, and it's a real problem but today here's where we're going James wants to take us down a path of this is what authentic religion looks like if you want the real thing you want the real thing everybody say I want the real thing I, I hope you want the real thing like I, I want I want what's authentic I want what has substance I want what's real I don't want to settle for less I hope that's you I trust that that you would want that right I want that I want that but here's the deal. We don't just stumble into the real thing. We don't just trip our way and, and, and discover it. We're going to experience the real thing that, that Jesus laid down his life for us to have, that he rose again for us to receive and experience. If, if we're going to experience that real thing, if we're going to have it and live it on a daily basis, it's got to be on purpose. We're, we're not going to accidentally discover it. We are going to pursue it with all that we are. Here we go. Two verses. Let's unpack it together. I just I love what what God is teaching us and that we could just do this together, right? As a family. Number one, if you're taking notes, embrace the real thing. Because I, I want the real thing. I want the real thing. Here's what it is. Be be watchful. Be watchful. Verse 26. If if anyone thinks he's religious, if kind of thinking I'm I'm pretty mature. I I've been a Christian for for a while. I, I know some I know a few things. I've made some progress. He says, he, if he thinks, if she thinks, 
the religious, but does not bridle his tongue. Everybody say, oh no. Here we go. Everybody ready? I think I'm pretty religious, but I, I, I don't have I don't have reins on my mouth, on my words. What does he say? But deceives his heart. Hearts deceive. He brings deception back into the discussion of you think you're somewhere, but you are not. What does he say? I just, I did not anticipate this, right? The first time reading through this years ago, I'm thinking, if anybody thinks he's religious, doesn't bridle his tongue, his heart's deceived, he needs to do a little bit better, needs to get get right. What does it say? This kind of religion is, what? Worthless. Absolutely worthless. Everybody say, ouch. That, it's not like, well, at least it's better than. No, it's not better. It's absolutely worthless. How can he say such a strong statement? Man, and all the people that we, we're thinking, so-and-so needs to read this, right? Man, I wish so-and-so was here. They need to read this verse. And the hardest part is, James is talking to me. James is talking to me. Absolutely worthless. He's saying, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. And if and if God doesn't have control of your heart, it's going to show up in the words that you say, right? Because you can think certain thoughts that are accurate, but oftentimes, right, our, our talk gives us away. Right? I, don't, I don't know if you've, you've been around uh, family members, especially very young family members, whether it's your own kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, whatever it is, right? And kind of hanging out with other family or, or friends, hanging out with the neighbor, and all of a sudden you say something, and and that that young one goes, well, that's not true. You're like, shut up, right? Or they go, well, that's not what mommy says, right? Or that's not how it went, or why would you say that? Why don't you just, and you're like, get, get away, shut your mouth. And it's like, so little ones are good at what? Giving you away, just like throwing you under the bus. And, and they're like, what? I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just saying what is real. Well, the hard part is we can even have in our minds that like, I think I'm in a certain place with God and, and I think I'm, I'm doing okay. And compared to others, and then all of a sudden, like the things that come out of our mouth all week long that we don't even think about, we don't even realize, James is like, why, why don't you assess those words? Because those words are kind of giving you away, right? They're kind of showing where you're really at. And I think it's one thing to, to put on the, the face at church. It's a very different thing of those that know us best all week long behind the scenes, those that are with us at our weakest, right, when we're vulnerable, when we're open, when we're real, when, when we're unguarded, and the things that come out, James is like, this is where the problem lies. Your mouth is going to express whether your religion is real, whether your spirituality is legit. And I think all of us want the real thing. So let's start here. Where am I at with my words? And it's a war. It's a battle, right? What do my words say are important to me? What do I love? What is filling my heart? Because whatever's in my heart is going to come out of my mouth. So James, again, saying application is everything, not just hearing the right things and nodding your head and agreeing with the right things and saying, yes, I know that the Bible says that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. He's saying application is, 
I have a new vocabulary. I speak a different way because my heart's filled with something so different that Jesus is coming out, right? That truth is coming out because it's filling my heart. Less, less religious talk, more application. And on the flip side, if I still talk like the old me, if I still have the old attitudes that continue to run rampant in my life, one question that James asks is, is your religion real? Is your spirituality real? Is your walk with God, is it real? If it hasn't changed your heart and hasn't changed your mouth, can you have confidence? He would say, not just maybe, he would say, it's absolutely worth it. These are hard they're hard words to hear, right? This is a hard thing to do, to step back and assess. What does my mouth say? My heart has allegiance and loyalty and commitment to. True religion, it's not worthless. It's helpful. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Not just that we would be watchful with our mouths, but he says, if you want the real thing, ever say, I want the real thing. I want the real thing. If you want the real thing, he says this, be helpful. Are you taking notes? Be helpful. And if we're considering being helpful, in what ways are we to be helpful? Well, as we go throughout our days, as we go throughout our neighborhoods and our workplaces, as we interact with family and friends, as we even come to church and think about different ministries, we are able to have an impact that doesn't just help for a little bit, but it helps change people's lives, their entire trajectory. And do you know what one area that he says is so crucial that if you have the real thing, this is where not just your mouth goes, but he says this is where your feet go. This is where your hands go. This is where your heart goes. Where does it go? Verse 27, do you see it? Religion that is pure, the real, it's real. You want that? Man, I, I don't want fake religion. I, I want what's pure, what's real, what's undefiled before God the Father. And it's this. This is such a shocker. I, who, who would have thought he would have went here to visit orphans and widows and their afflictions? Really, James? Really? Like, you could have gone anywhere, right? Like, the main thing is if you got, if you got real religion and it's pure and it's undefiled, it's authentic, then you would commit yourself to attending church every week. I mean, like, that would, that would kind of make sense, right? Or you would make sure that you have a quiet time every day and that you would do devotions and have a, have a Bible study, that you would memorize the books of the Bible, that you would memorize Scripture, right? If you're, this relationship that you say you have with God is real, he says this, this is how it shows up. You see people around you differently because, heart's different. You see the needs of others with a different lens. The old you, new you. Old you, new you. I looked around and everything was kind of fuzzy because all I could see clearly was my own needs and what I want to do and, and looking out for number one. And all of a sudden, God gave you new lenses. And as you look around and you scan the landscape of your world and your relationships and the needs around you, you go, taking care of them? Who's loving on that woman? Who's caring for, for those children? Can we talk? 
when you have the real thing, your heart changes, your mouth changes, and your attitude towards people changes. And what if not playing church, but being the church looks less like, who let them in here? Those people. We don't talk to them. They're not like us. They're bad influences. And we don't, no. That's one way to live the Christian life. The interruptions and the irritations and why are they making noise and why are they even here and why should they? That's, that's the old us. But then when Jesus comes in and makes us brand new, he sees there's, there's single moms in need that desperately need help. They don't need judgment. They need love and care. You see kids that they don't have a father at home, and God's calling the church to be dad for them. Why orphans and widows? Think about it. Why, why this image of orphans and widows as a primary heartbeat of a brand new Christian, of the real believers. Why this? Could I throw this out here? We forget that before Abba, Father, our Heavenly Father, was for us and loved us and brought us into the family, we were enemies. And what did He do? He adopted us into His family. Do you think that God has a heartbeat for orphans, for the fatherless, those that are unruly, out of control, not proper because they don't have a dad at home? They don't have a father that knows better. They're not being nurtured and cared for. Do you know why God is calling his church to go after those people? Because God, your father, went after, went after you. The reason that your heart should beat for those that are alone, helpless, those that are in need of training and assistance and teaching and care is because God looked at you and said, you are wandering around, aimless. You are trying to do what's right in your own eyes. And I am not going to tell you to shape up. I'm not going to tell you to get in line. I'm not going to tell you to fix yourself, I'm going to take the nasty, ugly, disgusting mess that is you, and I'm going to pull you out, and I'm going to embrace you as my son, as my daughter. I'm going to take all of that disgustingness, and I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to bring you close, not push you far off, because God treated you that way. He says, go. Go, go do likewise. I did it for you. Why are you not doing it for others? Why, why the image of widows? Because Jesus is described as what? As the husband, and the church is described as the, the bride. And he's saying, because you were whoring around, all throughout the Old Testament, we have images of like disgusting sexual perversion. And he says, Israel, you are like a prostitute. And I am going to buy you and marry you and commit myself 
pursue you. I'm going to be faithful to you even if you continue to cheat on me. Why those that are all alone and abandoned as moms, even single dads, because the church is to come alongside and say, we're in this together, right? I'm not going to stand off afar and judge and criticize. I'm going to come close even if you blew it, you messed up. Even if they blew it and messed up and hurt you and you are baggaged goods all with brokenness and pain inside, come into the church. The church is a place where you're going to be loved into healing. Your needs are going to be met. You are loved. You are loved. Because Jesus did that for us, what is he saying? The same thing. We really struggle with certain demographics and certain ages and certain types of people instinctively, naturally, and even through really bad experiences that we feel justified. But then Jesus rescues us and says, you're now part of the church. You're part of my family. When you're part of my family, you love what I love. And I love those that you don't naturally love. I'm going to change your heart. I hope that's really good news as you wrestle with God not just saving you to leave you, but saving you to change you and to change you in the way that you live out the real thing. Everybody say the real thing. This is it. This is it. Embrace the real thing. Be helpful. Be helpful for those that should know better, that should get their life together, that should stop what they're doing and start doing. How are they going to change? They're going to be changed by being loved into the change. Who's going to love them? You are. And it's not going to come natural, and it's not going to be instinctive, and it, it's not going to feel all of the feels and all of the fuzzies. But I wonder if day after day, week after week, you start asking God, God, change my heart. Change my heart. For those that I'm irritated by, and maybe starting in our own homes, right? I'm irritated by, by those in my own household, and God's saying, reach out in love. Do for them what I'm doing for you. And those outside of the walls of the church, those that we have a tendency to hope that we don't have to spend a lot of time with or interact with or that they would be somewhere else with someone else that God is saying, you, you, be with them, be for them, come alongside and love them. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm just so convicted that we, as a church, are we helpful? Does our mouth prove that our heart's allegiance is, is King Jesus? Do our hands and our feet go in way of help that confirms that our heart knows that we have been adopted, that we have been married, connected to Jesus? Each one of us needs to answer that. So I would say this, you've been adopted in Christ. Live what you are. Live adopted. Love others that are yet to be brought in and cared for. Help. So real religion, he says this, it's first a, it's a mouth thing. Everybody say a mouth thing. It's a mouth thing. Then it's a helpful thing. Everybody say helpful. It's a helpful thing. And then he says this, it's a holiness thing. It's a holiness thing to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then he continues in verse 27. 
See that at the end of verse 27? Unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. Pure and undefiled means you're not stained by the world. Well, God so loved the world that he, he gave. The world that he gave his son for that would lay down his life. What kind of world is it? Was it? Will it be? It is a muddy, mucky, disgusting, slimy, wicked world. And he, what? He enters into it. And yet, was Jesus defiled by it? Did, is it because he, he kept his distance? He was in the thick of it. He was up to his elbows in the junk of sin. And yet, the wickedness of the world did not defile him, but what? The purity that was Jesus made wicked ones holy and pure. Everybody say that's awesome. The whole Old Testament is filled with images of stay clean, don't get dirty, don't, don't eat that, don't touch that, right? Don't even make clothes that, that are merging of different fabrics. Watch what you do with your beard. Be careful with the whole pork thing. The whole Old Testament is be clean, stay clean. Don't be defiled by what God says is defiled. Well, we know that's all called ceremonial law. It's not part of the moral law. It was part of Israel being distinct among all of the other nations. So you would expect Jesus to leave heaven, come in, and in order to fulfill the law, what would he have to do? Clearly, he would have to walk through the ceremonies and make sure that he didn't get around too sinful of people, that he didn't touch them, that he didn't, he, he didn't break any of the ceremonial laws. But what did he do? He made a lot of people really frustrated the snot out of all of the Bible-thumping Bible teachers that are like, you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. And what did Jesus continue to say? You know the letter of the law. You don't understand the heart of the law. You missed it. You missed it. I don't get unclean. I am clean, and I make everything I touch clean. I, I, I hope you hear good news that no matter how dirty no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what the greatest regrets that you have are, that you would hear Jesus not say, clean up your life. Get your stuff in order. Get a grip, will you? Instead, he says what? Get in here, you disgusting, wicked sinner. I'm giving my life for you. I'm embracing you. I'm welcoming you in because my cleanness is going to make you clean closer. Come in. I don't know where else to find good news. I don't know where else to look to find the real thing. The real thing is that we would look to Jesus and say, Jesus, make me holy within and send me in to the mess that is the unholy world and the unholy culture. Don't let me conform to it, but help me rub off on them. I don't want to isolate myself and stay away. I want to get near. But as we go through the process of getting close, we have a problem, right? Because sometimes that sin rubs off on us. That stuff that's outside of us ends up in us. The influences around us end up influencing deeply in ways that we don't even 
realize. And he said, he says, be unstained, stay unstained. If you want the real thing, and I wonder how many of us are like, I want the real thing, but I wonder if it's too late. Because when I said yes to Jesus, I was already getting dirty like the next day, right? I was like back in the pig slot, back at the old patterns, the old habits, the old addictions. Like how did I end up back here? I know that I've been made clean, so how did I end up back in the dirt that I was cleansed from? Well, here's the good news. There's different ways to think about holiness. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's two ways to view holiness. As we hear James say, be holy, stay clean, don't get dirty with sin. We could read it in this way. We could read it in a way that is like he's saying, be pious, be pious. That's the, that's the old word for uh, living out a holy life. But this attitude turns into self-righteousness. It's, it's horizontal. It's the religion way. It's the dead imitation religion way where you can live a holy life and you can be good enough if you just try hard and stay away from and follow these rules. But the reality is you can't. You can't. And he says it's self-deception to think that you can try harder, do more, work diligently to make sure that you stay clean, make sure that you raise your kids to stay clean, and that grandkids that are clean and clean looks like uh, don't do the dirty dozen or the nasty nine, right, or the, or the sinful seven. Here's the list of the things that we don't do. And it, it doesn't work. The list doesn't work. The rule keeping doesn't work. So it's not being pious. What about this? James, he's not saying that. He's also not saying, number two, write this down, pity. Where I think, I hear the words that he's saying, stay undefiled, be living a holy life. And for some of us, we go, I tried that for like 48 hours and then I failed. And for some of us, we're, I, I don't, you can answer this for yourself. Some of us are like the all or nothing type, right? Like I'm all in, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something wholeheartedly. Well, guess what happens with Christianity? You say yes to Jesus, you're completely forgiven, and then you jump in, right? You dive in, cannonball into the deep end, and then even before you pop up to the surface, you're already getting stuck in sin again. And you're like, forget it. Forget it. I quit. I quit. For some of us, if we're honest, we're like, we, there might be a room full of quitters, right? Like, I tried and failed and tried and failed, so I said, forget it. So I walked away from any of my Christian friends or family. I walked away from the church. I kind of did my own thing, and I wandered, 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 wandered. And I wonder in your heart if you are fully convinced that there are wanderers out there that need to be brought home that they don't have to live in self-pity. They don't have to think that Christianity is some kind of pious, some kind of work hard list of rules, but instead that there is a better way. There's a better way. Everybody say there's a better way. There's a better way. Revelation 12.10, if you want to jot that address down, says Satan is the accuser of the children of God. He accuses them day and night. You think Satan is passionate about something? Man, he's so passionate about this. He's so passionate about uh, accusing, but here's also what we know. Even though he accused them day and night, that we have, we have a warrior, we have a champion, Jesus Christ, who's saying, Satan, you can accuse all you want to, but remember, it's not based on their performance, their righteousness. Do you see the holes? Do you see the scars? It's done. It's finished. There's nothing more for them to do. If they're in me, 
You can accuse all you want to, but nothing sticks, right? As Christians, we need to be uh, like Teflon, not like Velcro, right? As accusations come, it's like, what? Like just slips right off, right? No stick, no stick. Nothing can stick. No charge against us. No accusations against us. But instead, we can walk down a path where everything starts sticking and and it gets buried deep inside of us of I am only and I'll never be. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with, it's too late for me. I'm already dirty. There are things that I've done. I'm so ashamed if you you only knew. My past is filthy. I might as well quit. And I, I, I want us to hear this. Religion says, get busy washing those stains. I don't know if you've had really nasty stains. I, I don't know what's up with uh, red sauces of any kind, but you'd think that it would just be a little bit easier, whether it's ketchup or spaghetti sauce. And you're like, it's only been on for a little while, and it's not that bad. It's like, how does it? How is it so relentless, right? And there are certain stains that you can scrub and scrub. I remember wearing a semi-nice shirt while I was painting my hallway because I'm like, what could possibly go wrong, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm in my house with a, a long pole, and I'm like, I'm 10 feet away from any of this paint. I can do this. All it takes is one little flip and really, really? And no matter how fast you go, getting paint out of a shirt. Religion says what? You better, you better get that to the kitchen. You better get scrubbing. See what else you can do to try to get that out. And I love that Jesus comes along, even though Satan is accusing, even though pity is rising up of, I, I quit, I can't do this, that Jesus arrives with a brand new white shirt that says, it's not about what you've done. It's not about where you've been taken off, put my robes of righteousness on, and no matter what accusation, what accusation can come against Jesus? None. And who is wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus? Every believer. So instead of scrub the stain out, Jesus says, wear my perfect garments. That's not religion. That's something completely different. That's not dead counterfeit, work harder, do more, get clean religion. There's something powerful here that James is trying to help us with. Not pious attitude, not self-righteousness, not pity. Instead, Jesus says, wear, wear this. Even if you hear you're a failure, you're a fornicator, you're a pervert, you're an addict, you're an adulterer, you've had an abortion, you are a thief, you're a murderer, you hate and you covet and you envy and you're never going to fit in and you are a fool and you're never going to outgrow that and you're going nowhere and you're not worthy you're not worthy you're not worthy you're never going to change stop trying there's no hope just end it and we're living in a culture where that is being played on loop every single day all day long walk across the street talk to any student and ask, what's on replay in their heart and in their mind? This. Over and over and over. We have generations rising up that know nothing of being free from accusations. Free from condemnation. 
They don't know what it's like. They don't think it's possible. And God rises up and says, my church will go. My church will live it. My church will accept them. My church will speak hope and life. And there are those that need to hear his voice and follow. John 10, 27 through 30, if you want to write this down. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I know them intimately, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one is going to snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, he's greater than all. He's greater. Everybody say, he's greater. Yes, he's greater. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. My sheep hear my voice, even though there's a voice of accusation that we would hear God's voice, that we would be made brand new. Let's finish with this. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. There is good news for all people, no matter backgrounds, no matter where people are at today. And part of it is we need the real thing. We need to be living it, not in criticism, not in judgment, not in looking down on others, not being suspect and cynical, but instead for us to get close so that we can speak words of hope words of life 